in Psalm 94. That's Psalm 94. The text reads like this. The psalmist writes, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous. And all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would, have soon, would as soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my hearts are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Amen. Well, the poet John Keats once wrote, Imaginary grievances have always been more my torment than real ones. In other words, I fear the worst, but the worst rarely ever comes. But as we come to Psalm 94 tonight, we meet a psalmist on the precipice of despair. His, his grievances were anything but imaginary. They were three inches before his face. He, he looked about him and he saw so much suffering among the people of God that he dared ask God to avenge their blood. Things were bad. 
Things were that bad. Things were that desperate. And you, as you heard from our reading, the godly were being crushed beneath the feet of the wicked. And instead of the wicked being ashamed of their wickedness, they were rather proud of their wickedness. And instead of defending the most vulnerable to the vulnerable, they did the most harm. Verse six, they kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. Every imaginary grievance was dancing before this psalmist's eyes. But when I read Psalm 94 recently, in a personal time with the Lord, Verse 19 jumped off the page, knocked on my soul, and demanded, preach me. Because verse 19 says this, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. I wonder if I'm speaking to anyone tonight with a heart containing many cares. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight who could do with some consolation from God. Well, if that is you, consolation is waiting for you in Psalm 94. Uh, We are not going to look at every single verse in Psalm 94. We're just going to focus with like a a, a laser focus on two consolations that cheered the soul of the psalmist. And the hope and the goal, the vision, the dream here is that these consolations would cheer your soul too. Consolation number one, God knows. Consolation number two, God supports. Consolation number one, then God knows. Look at verse eight to 11 again. The psalmist writes, understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, but they are but a breath. Now, on the face of it, those words are surely more a warning to the godless rather than a consolation to the godly. I mean, the psalmist is clearly bringing reality to bear among the people of God, specifically because of the people who live as though there is no God and who sin as though there is no judgment to come. Those who in verses four to six pour out their arrogant words and who crush God's people, who afflict God's heritage, who kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless, all the while saying, verse seven, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. And so the the string of rhetorical questions that comes in verses eight to 10 are designed really to expose the madness and warn the godless who do such evil things. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? Answer, yes, he does. So muzzle your mouth the next time you're tempted to pour out arrogant words, the psalmist is saying. He who formed the eye, does he not see? Yes, he does. 
So lift your foot off the head of that widow. Drop the knife that you are about to plunge into the chest of that fatherless child, the psalmist is saying. But as well as warning the godless, these words console the godly by declaring this truth, God knows. God knows. God does see. God does hear. So all those, although these words, God knows, is today a, a term of blasphemy in the mouths of unbelievers, do not let that rob you of the comfort they afford because the fact is God knows and since God knows, we don't need to repay evil for evil. God has it in hand. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I will repay. God will repay as the one who is in full possession of the facts and full possession of the power needed to execute justice perfectly. He does see, he does know, he does hear, and nothing will escape his notice, he is God. And therefore God hears both the slanderer and the slandered when he cries to God in prayer. God sees the victimizer and the victim when she is backed into the corner and knows not where to go. That's a consolation. And so friend, listen, if the cares of your heart are many today, because your colleagues, they view your kindness as a a green light to walk all over you, God knows. And if the cares of your heart are many today because the children that you have raised are now raising their voices in opposition of you, God knows. And if the cares of your heart are many because your husband humiliates you for your faith in Christ, God knows. And if the cares of your heart are many because the deplorable state of our hell-bent nation almost breaks your heart, God knows knows. And if your neighbors cross the road because they consider you a fool for your faith in Christ, God knows. And you may have forgotten all about dozens of instances whereby you were opposed for your love for Jesus Christ, but God has not forgotten about a single one. Why? Well, yes, because he's omniscient, but also because he loves you and he cares for you, and there has not been one tear that you have shed that he has not seen, and collected in his bottle, and will one day turn to wine and serve to you in the kingdom of heaven. You matter to him. And when you are saddened, God is saddened. And when the cares of your heart are many, God's heart is warmed in compassion toward you. And when you know that God knows, you find that your heart is consoled. God knows. I had some time off recently, and so what did I do? Well, you could all guess what I did. I read myself a nice little biography of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, didn't I? And I was, 
And I was remem- reminded of that time when the car- cares of his heart were, were many. Do you remember he was called to pastor the New Park Street Chapel at the grand old age of 19 years old? And he, he got there in this grand building, this edifice. It could seat 1,200 people. There were just 80 people in the church before him, but in basically no time at all, it was standing room only. And so there was a, a, a building renovation scheme underway. They had to find other premises and eventually they, they secured the, the, um, garden, uh, the Surrey Music Garden Hall, which could seat about 10,000 people. And the first service was planned for the evening of the 19th of October, 1856. Spurgeon was 22 years old. And let me read to you what happened next. The crowd that gathered exceeded all expectations The hall was set in a kind of park that was surrounded by a large ornamental iron railing and people began to assemble within it not long after the noon hour. So do you all hear that? These people arrived six hours early to church. Shame on, shame on us all. And their numbers steadily increased and when early in the evening the building was open, they flooded in, they filled every seat, packed the aisles and crowded the stairways while thousands of others stood outside refusing to go away and hoping to hear something of the sermon through the windows. For the first few moments, everything proceeded with the decorum of any ordinary Sunday service and the singing seemed particularly reverent and joyous. But just after Spurgeon began to pray, the place was suddenly thrown into constellation. Someone in a gallery shouted, fire. And that was followed by a cry from the ground floor. The galleries are falling. And then a third voice was heard. The whole place is collapsing. And immediately, much of the hole was in a panic. And people began rushing for the stairs and pressing to get out of the doors. Under the extreme pressure, a stair railway, uh, railing gave way. And several fell with it onto the crowded floor beneath. Some jumped from the gallery and others lost their footing on the stairs, falling to the floor. They were trodden down by the many who attempted to pass over them. A stream of people pushed their way out of the doors, but as they did so, others thrust themselves in, intent on securing the seats they had left, and there was no fire. It was a prank, and seven people were crushed to death, and dozens more were sent to hospital seriously injured and the newspapers tore Spurgeon to shreds as if he was in some way responsible for it. Crushed to death just like the people here in Psalm 94 verse five. And God saw that. God heard those false cries. And God saw those plans to commit such a wicked plan and the judge of all the earth will do what is right. So believer, be consoled. God hears every word spoken against you. He sees every action committed against you. And since Jesus Christ made you his own when he loved you and he died for you, God is now for you. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? And so with our consoled hearts what is it that we should actually do well Jesus tells us what we should do doesn't he when he says pray for your enemy what what did Jesus say he said you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven 
For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfect, And if we will remember that Jesus loved us and died for us while we were yet his enemies, then will we not be equipped to love our enemies in return from those consoled hearts, knowing that God knows. God knows. Consolation number two, God supports. God supports. Look at verses 17 and 18. The psalmist writes there, if the Lord had not been my help, My soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. And that either means the land of death or it means the land of such hopelessness that it is altogether impossible to praise God. Verse 18, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. You see what the psalmist is doing? He's remembering God's support in the past in order for him to be consoled in the present. Now, because we don't know for sure who wrote Psalm 94, we don't have the stories. We don't have the the concrete examples of what it looked like for God to reach out his arm out of heaven and pull this man up. We don't know what it looked like for God's steadfast love to to rescue him when the psalmist said, my foot slips. But what we do have here is a key for Christian living. And that is remembering God's support in the past in order to be consoled in the present. To put it another way, if we want to be consoled today, we need to remember God's support of us yesterday. Because when we do that, what happens? Well, we begin to say to ourselves, God has helped me before, God will help me again. God has lifted me before, God will lift me again. God has rescued me before, God will rescue me again. And in that there is consolation, is there not? It's interesting, isn't it? Few things come more naturally to us than being altogether consumed by the presence. Isn't that true? Because the present is immediate. The present is urgent. The present is visible. But the psalmist example here tells us this, to handle the present, we need to remember the past. His help, his steadfast love, in the past. And so if you're a a believer here tonight, remember this, God's steadfast love covered you before the foundation of the world. That's one place to look back, isn't it? In eternity past, God saw your unformed substance before your mother had named you Before you'd been introduced to your family, God saw your unformed substance. And Ephesians chapter one says this, in love God predestined you for adoption to himself. And it was according to that steadfast love that he granted you repentance. 
And it was according to that steadfast love that he, he lifted you and he seated you with Christ in the heavenly realms when, whereas before you had been dead in your transgressions and sins. And if God had showed his love for you while you were still a sinner through the death of his son, you can be absolutely sure that God's steadfast love will hold you up in the present even today. When you feel like you're slipping into an abyss of hopelessness. In fact, it's when you remember God's steadfast love to you, toward you in Christ that you, you begin to find yourself asking the question, who shall separate me? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall all of the trials of Psalm 94 separate me from the love of Christ? For, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? When the cares of your heart are many, friend, be consoled by the manifold ways in which God has loved you. And tell yourself that is all that really matters at the end of the day and at the end of your life. And then there's the ways in which he's helped you in the past as well. You know, the verse that I, I quote more than any other verse in, in sermons is the same verse that I recite to myself over and over and over and over again. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So friend, how has God helped you in your life? We could spend years telling the stories, couldn't we, of how God has helped us in our lives. I'll tell you how God has helped me in my life. God has helped me in my life through God's people. It seems where, wherever I find myself, there is just the right person to strengthen my hand in God and lead me through. I remember the last week before we moved from the States uh, back to the UK and we just made so many precious friendships. It's interesting, people ask me, do you, do you miss the States? And my answer really is not really, but I just, I miss the people. And on the week on our last week i remember t walking early one morning with a friend it was just a dear brother to me in christ <laughs> sorry and we got to the top of this mountain and we just began to pray for each other and we prayed for our families and whenever <laughs> whenever i struggle in this time here <laughs> back to that time because he was what I needed in that moment to bring me through. And so to those of you who are dreading going to work tomorrow, friend, you need to take this verse with you. And you need to remember that God has never let you down. And you've let yourself down. And other people have let you down. 
And maybe I've let you down, but God has never let you down. And God has fulfilled every promise in your life. So let me ask you, what helps you to remember God's support in the past? Whatever helps you to remember, do that thing. Because we're all forgetters, aren't we, at the end of the day? Maybe you need to get together with a friend and you need to sit him down and say, let me tell you what God has done for my soul. I was facing a a wall that I could not scale and then God picked me up and just lifted me over it. Maybe you just need to spend some time just praying and thanking God for all the ways in which he's helped you. Maybe you need to write out those moments where it felt like God opened up the Red Sea before you and he enabled you to, to walk through as on dry land. It was just the most remarkable providence this past week as I was in my study on Friday and one of you knocked on my door and uh, I noticed that you were holding a couple of raffle tickets. I didn't ask any questions, uh, but I saw them and you told me that in your home is a couple of jars and in these jars you've got all these raffle tickets and you've written answers to prayer on these raffle tickets so that whenever you need encouragement, you just pick one up at random and read it. I just thought that that is a remarkable way to help you to remember how God has helped you in your life in order for your soul to be consoled. And friend, can I say this to us tonight? Your greatest danger needn't lay in the future. Your greatest danger is found in forgetting the past and the many ways in which God has helped you. If you're here today and you're you're not a Christian, friend, remember Jesus Christ. Remember him. Remember his love for sinners. Remember that he loved them and laid his life down on the cross of Calvary to save them. And remember that the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe with our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And friend, do that tonight. And if you will do that tonight, you will find him to be nothing but a altogether perfect and sufficient savior. And every person in this room who has done that is able to testify to that very truth. Remember him. Cast yourself on him. Walk with him until you see him face to face and worship him throughout all eternity. Amen. Stand with me.